0: I, 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 he I. We're I, fired from kind, now we ain't got no shame, so we started the pod. Chuck Yates needs a job.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job the podcast. My guest today on March first, two thousand twenty-two received 241,390 votes for Railroad Commissioner in the Republican primary, finishing second since the leader, Wayne Christian, did not get above 50%. We're going to have a runoff on May 24th. So, Sarah Stodgner, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Chuck.
1: uh, I joked with my priest because my priest, Patrick, was the first repeat guests on the podcast. And we joked about how sequels suck, but anyway, no pressure, <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So give us an update. What's going on in the race?
0: Yeah. So the update is, uh, we've got four days, I guess, until early voting starts, but big news is I finally caved and decided to take some money. So ah. we, We've done a big ad buy, so if you watch cable news or primetime, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, local news, things like that, in most of the places in Texas, you should see a Sarah Stogner for railroad commissioner ad, and by the end of this, I'm sure everyone's going to be sick of my face and my voice.
1: Nice, nice, (laughs) The uh, interesting. So, Let's do this, because I found this kind of interesting. I got a flyer um, here in front of me, and I'll just read the flyer to you, and we can discuss this. It says, the choice is clear, and I'll even show the camera if it'll work, but it says the choice is clear. So it has Wayne Christian, railroad commissioner, with a bunch of check marks on it, and a bunch of X's by you. So... I was going to run through these just to, uh, you know, we're all about investigation here. At Chuck Yates needs a job. What is this is true. So first off, we have political views. It says Wayne is a proud conservative Republican. It's got an A-plus rating with various conservative watchdog groups, and he's got a long history of fighting for Republicans. It says the X next to your name, and it says you've never voted Republican before voting for yourself. You made a political contribution to Beto O'Rourke and you supported Beto for governor. (laughs) True.
0: Okay. So never voted in a Republican. That's, that's blatantly false. I've already provided evidence that I was a registered Republican voter in Louisiana, because in Louisiana, you actually have to declare a party. So evidence of that. And then I voted in, in Louisiana prime Republican primaries as long as I lived in Louisiana. True that I had never voted in a Texas primary before, because until I had the realization that I wasn't moving back to Louisiana a couple of years ago, I maintained my primary domicile in Louisiana, even though I was living in Texas. So I was still voting in Louisiana. Um, so that's false. And then as a joke in 2018, I spent $25 to buy a t-shirt off of Beto's website. And the funny thing is, is I never even got the T-shirt like it was a joke. And then I didn't even end up getting it. So I just wasted twenty five dollars. But that was the only you know, political campaign contribution history I had because I've never been politically involved. I just would show up and vote.
1: Gotcha. So, OK, I'm going to hold you to this as a campaign promise. If the T-shirt shows up, you promise not to wear it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> OK. All right. We're making progress here. Let's go to point number two. Energy security. It says under Wayne with a big check mark, a conservative businessman who's been a champion for Texas oil and gas endorsed by leading oil and gas trade associations, proven record of fighting against Biden overreach, overregulation and taxpayer subsidies. That stuff all sounds good to me.
0: Which is funny, though, because, you know, he has no authority or jurisdiction over any Biden policies. So I'm not quite sure how he can fight Biden. But that's aside from that. Let's keep going.
1: It was Biden's overreach. So he's not fighting Biden. It's, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe he's going Mm -hmm. for the extra role at the Thanksgiving dinner. Um, (laughs) OK, so what it says about you, a liberal lawyer who has publicly stated Texas should increase oil and gas regulations to be more like Democrat states, Colorado and New Mexico and that companies can pass along costs to consumers. True or false?
0: False. So if you, this is, I think you of anybody can appreciate this. This is a debate that we had on EFT Twitter last summer. I think it was maybe a week after the Estes 24 blew out. And um, I basically said, somebody said something, and we could pull it up and, and look at it specifically. But my intent was, and the conversation was, how do we, how do we fix this stuff without screwing up like we did in New Mexico and Colorado? Right. And I did say, well, how do people manage to operate? We pass it along. Right. And, and my, my, my main concern or the reason that I I stated the tweet to begin with was let's take an honest look and maybe we can't make money at $40, right? Maybe our break-even isn't $40 a barrel. If, if our break-even is 60, Because that's what it costs to be responsible operators Then our break evens at 60. And I think we need to have intellectually honest conversation amongst ourselves of, you know, what does it actually cost to responsibly produce a barrel. And if some of that money needs to be going to asset retirement obligations in the future, to make sure that we don't have orphaned wells, then that's what we have to do as an industry to look at. And so yeah, it's all there. But no, I mean, I think you and and those that have followed me know that I'm very much pro industry and don't think that New Mexico or Colorado have it right. Um, but Texas has some work to do. And the work we really need to start with is just enforcing the regulations that are on the books already.
1: And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's time and time again, when you and I've spent time talking on the podcast, uh, We've we've hung out a little bit outside the podcast, that's the vibe. Is hey, we've got rules. Let's just enforce them. Let's start yeah. there. So okay, all right. Now this is this is a really important one. Given <laughs> the the name Railroad Commissioner, as well as your job is to regulate the oil and gas business, it says pro life. So Wayne has a big check mark, hundred percent pro life. He's endorsed by various groups. You've got a big X says. Uh, Says your pro-choice publicly opposed the heartbeat bill stating stay out of my uterus.
0: So let's start with Wayne's. We I actually posted a few days ago, I think in 2011, he publicly stated that it was a war on birth control and that pro-life was including a war on birth control. So that's his position. Okay, my position was I'm tired of old white men. Uh, passing legislation without consulting with the women and the families whose lives that it impacts. And I'm very much pro-life, but I don't believe that we can legislate morality. And I think as Republicans, we need to do a better job of making sure that no woman ever feels like that's a choice she has to make. And I think, right, like we've had this discussion many a times, too, I think off the record and in various times is I don't know how we do that. And I don't but we have to keep a separation of church and state just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I think that those need to go away. Right. I think that that's very important. Um, But how do we make sure that no woman wants to make that decision? And I don't necessarily think that legislation, specifically this legislation, is the right way. Although I do think that the Supreme Court's leaked opinion is the right opinion. Right. I think it's a state's rights issue. And I think that um, this is why you elect leaders that espouse your views that actually have jurisdiction over that. And I'm not running for Senate. I'm not running for House, right? I'm running to regulate oil and gas, interstate pipelines and surface mining. And I don't have the answers, but I'm pro-life and just don't think that the heartbeat bill is the way to go.
1: Yeah, no, it's interesting. You know, I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about that as all Americans have, just because it's what happens. And- I don't know that I have a good answer for it either. I I agree with you that at the end of the day, it ought to be a democratic process of some sort, you know, involving legislatures, elected officials, uh, et cetera. I mean, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg felt that too uh, against Roe, and so we do have a laboratory that gives us some data on that. Europe, I mean, basically all the European countries. Went through a democratic process as opposed to a judicial process on abortion. And what you where it kind of shook out is 95% of the countries in Europe or 95% of the population of Europe lives in a country where abortion is legal. It generally is legal for the first trimester, and then you get into restrictions beyond that. And that it was interesting because Bill Maher, the big liberal, actually said this week or last week on his program that he had no idea America's abortion laws were way more liberal than Europe which they are i mean we 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 have longer under row we have a right. lot so i don't know that i have a good answer for that and that's why my podcast is about oil and gas <laughs> as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to political issues so so uh anyway let's go to the next ah the second amendment Wayne is a champion of our gun rights, consistently received A ratings from the NRA in the Texas House. Let's see what it says about you. Criticized the NRA as absurd and has advocated for gun control, calling it common sense.
0: So I did say that the NRA has become absurd, right? Like what started as, if you look back to the founding documents and, and what the mission of it was in the beginning Um, I very much fundamentally agree with that. Again, it's like so many other things over time, it's become a life of its own. And it just like when I publicly withdrew from TechSoga a couple years ago, because they took a ridiculous stance on the winterization. uh, I think that the NRA has taken some ridiculous stance on avoiding mass shootings in schools. And as a mother with a kid in school, you know, I think that I'm not totally opposed to having some rudimentary background checks and waiting periods, um, specifically where, um, you know, like at gun shows and things like this, where if you, if the data supports, and I'm I'm not, again, not educated enough to know, but I've seen enough to question some of the things. And I, I, when I ran for office, I decided that I wasn't going to go and scrub my social media. I was going to let people hopefully do their research and see who I really am. Was that a mistake? Maybe because most people don't really care and they listen to stuff and um, maybe, but I think again, my history shows I'm absolutely pro second amendment. As far as assault rifles and weapons and things like that, I'm. it's not like, a. oh, it's for hunting. No, it's for personal protection. And I think that we're getting on some of these other issues to the point where, yeah, you're going to have to come and take it from me if we get to that point. So, um, but just because I question certain policies or challenge certain notions doesn't mean that I'm against something. I just want to engage in intellectually honest, healthy debate.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, maybe... So one day when Chuck Yates, the job is actually a big real podcast, we can do like Rogan does and have a fact checker there while we're talking, I believe, so I may be wrong, but I believe the uh, um, the background check was actually proposed by the NRA in the 70s. I mean, that that's where it came from. That's how it even got into the discussion lexicon because of the NRA, so yeah they have changed on that over time the uh at, at that point uh at that point you know gun control i don't know that i have a good position to uh, discuss intelligently there anyway but all again
0: right. right all none of these have anything to do with the the position that he has shown i don't think he's qualified to have or the position that i'm seeking right like none of this has to do with oil and gas this is just pandering to what they think the polls say that most primary Republican voters care about.
1: Fair enough. So, with that, let's go to the next one: critical race theory. So, Wayne is opposed to critical race theory and believes it should not be taught in our classrooms. He gets check mark. You've got the X because uh, you support critical race theory. And have and you've opposed the Republican efforts to ban it from our classroom.
0: I'd like to objection. What is the definition of critical race theory? I've said that I just want to teach uh, real history and that after living in Mississippi for a couple of months last year and really learning about the invention of the steamship and how it impacted the slave trade, specifically on the Mississippi River and Natchez, New Orleans, all all through there. and the history of policing, and versus the history of the sheriff's office. And let's just say this, I went to high school in Huntsville, Alabama, I had football teachers for history teachers, and I didn't get exactly the most accurate or thorough education on history in high school. And so as an adult, I've learned a lot of things. And I'm like, I don't think that they taught that in my high school. And I think that it's important that we give teachers and parents and kids an opportunity to engage in meaningful conversation and actually teach the truth and learn from it and um i think that again critical race theory is this buzz term that now everyone has a little bit def- different definition do i want white children to be taught that they should feel guilty for being white no absolutely not but i think that it's reality that we all have biases right and i If I look and dress a certain way and go into a situation, I'm treated differently, and I see it every day as a woman out in the oil field, right? So I think that we have to be able to recognize that people have certain expectations when they see us, and that's a matter of fact because I experience it. And so that's it,
1: yeah, so my my take on critical race theory. I have a really good friend named Seth who is Teacher of the Year in Colorado. He's retired now. Anytime I run up to Tell your Telluride, Seth and I hang out and probably could not be more diametrically opposed on political issues. And we talked about critical race theory because he's an educator. And I'm like, tell me what this is. And the way he explained it is teaching history and that certain biases actually lead to sustainable type influences over time. For instance, I mean, one of them, uh, you know, blacks were were zone restricted from owning houses in various neighborhoods, and unfortunately, that led to blacks renting as opposed to owning. So when regentrification happens seventy five years later in these poor neighborhoods, the beneficiaries are the owners of the houses and not the actual inhabitants of the house. And that carries on, you know, because the home has actually been the biggest builder of wealth for American families for basically the whole history of the of the nation. So to me, that sounds like something we ought to be cognizant of. Do I have a solution on how to address it? No idea. But we ought to be cognizant of we ought to know that we ought to know what happened in Tulsa, In the 1920s. And if Seth wanted to teach my kids, I'd be blessed to have Seth teach my kids. I think what happens is it's uh, it's the hands that critical race theory has fallen into with various teachers where it's not that it's used as as a weapon.
0: Yeah. And that's not okay, regardless of what we call it.
1: Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. So. All right. Let's see what else the uh, the flyer said. Sexualized content in school supports parental rights and opposes sexual content in our classrooms. Now you've got a big X here and says stated support for written materials on gender and queerness in our schools. Where'd that come from?
0: Again, no idea. I suspect maybe that someone had like a band, again, like a banned book list or something. And kids have Google the fact that we're fighting over <laughs> right. educational books in high schools now. And look, I have a, I have a first grader, right. And we're laying in bed the other day, I'm putting her to bed and she's like, mom, how are babies made? So I told her, right. Like right? if, if she's in school and ask that question of the teacher, I would like the teacher to be able to have an age appropriate anatomically correct response that, um, like, well, you know what? Maybe we start, wait. maybe we talk about how baby horses are made or maybe, you know what I mean? Like there's other ways of doing it that's age appropriate. And I've multiple times expressed interest because again, kids ask questions and if we don't answer their questions then they experience shame and all these other unintended consequences. And I don't want her to experience that or have issues You know, regarding sexuality and shame, and so uh, I'm. I think it's. I'm very openly supportive of uh, LGBTQ communities, right? Like, not. I'm not. I happen to be a straight woman, but um, you know, it's. I'm very much of a personal liberties and freedom, and I don't think the government should intervene in our personal lives. And so, um, and I also think that there's lots of kids with lots of questions. And you know, I grew up in a very Baptist house where fortunately, my mom was a nurse. And so I would ask her questions about like that about, you know, reproductive issues, and she would be able to give me an anatomically correct response. But from the social aspect and the religious aspect, her response was always, you know, true love waits for marriage. And so what do I do, I go and get married at 22. And we'll see how that first marriage ended up for me, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, so I just want I want to make sure that I we avoid some of these issues with our kids. And I've, I've seen kids, you know, suicidal or distressed with like we lo- I, we should love our children no matter what. God loves us no matter what. And I just find it infuriating when people pick and choose what parts of Scripture, right? What parts of of loving our neighbors like ourselves that we tend to pick and choose from. And again, um I want the library at school to be a safe place for kids to have a real education. And I think that uh, maybe if there's books that aren't where they should be, it's probably on an age basis and not on a content basis, because again, kids have Google and I'm not afraid of her getting misinformation from a school library.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, you get into, again, we come back to if Seth is talking with our children about where babies come from at age five, I'm okay with that because Because they
0: ask, right? I'm not saying we should routinely go and push this information on them. Not at all, Yeah, but kids are curious. So when they ask, we need to be able to have educated responses.
1: Yeah. And, and, and Seth would handle it on an age appropriate basis. And because my story on that, my eldest kiddo, five years old, seen mom, been pregnant twice. Dad, where do babies come from? Where do babies come from? And so I went down and talked with Charlie's teacher, Julie Peregari, wonderful woman, really glad Charlie was in Julie's class. I'm like, what do I do? And Julie's just, well, you tell them. And I go, what do you mean you tell him? Five years old. And, and Julie's like, yeah, just tell them. Uh, You know, you don't have to go into gory details, but, you know, give them enough. So we we started with, the well, when a mommy and a daddy wants to have a baby, that wasn't good enough. Dad, how's the baby get into mom's stomach? <laughs> you know, and I'm like. So one night we're laying in bed and I'm like, all right, you want to hear this? And yes, dad, I need to know. So I started with daddy takes his penis and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And just kind of walked right through it. So giggling, covering the head, you know, all that. And we get to the end and I'm like, well, you got any questions? And uh, yeah, dad, I got one. I'm like, oh, okay. What's that? I'd really like to see that. (laughs) I said, well, that's a thing a mommy and a daddy do in private. And, yeah. oh, okay, daddy. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, so I'm kind of with you that that I think I think we need to talk about those things. And with anything, we're going to demonize kind of just certain words that, you're right, have no definition. You know, it means one thing to me. It means one thing to somebody else and, and all that. But I do think it's a little scary uh, to think of... Teachers not handling it age appropriately, you know, and there and there is that. And I don't know how yeah. we police that uh in our schools, but yeah. So it's it it is a real issue, but it's it's hard. You you can't have that discussion on 140 characters on Twitter. Right. You know? And and I think ultimately, you know, it's interesting. So I'm on the board of an after school literacy program and so I dig into educational research. Do you know what the single greatest correlating fact to the ranking of a school is or how well it's judged on, on how it's doing? Money. Actually, it's not. It's the, hmm. uh, it's the, uh, the merits Pair of the principal. It, it's oh. actually the merits of the principal. And, uh, and and I, I didn't believe that either, but I re- I've read enough research that time and time again, that scores really high as what separates a good school from a bad school. And I think one of the things we need to do in education is stop taking our greatest teachers and promoting them to principals, because just because you're a good teacher doesn't mean you can manage people. And right. uh, one not that... We're talking about regulating the oil and gas business, and we've gone off on a tangent on education, but I really do think public schools ought to have separate paths for principals and principal training as we go through, because that is because ultimately he or she on the front line is the one that's going to say, okay, Seth's a really good teacher. He's handling things age appropriately. Becky Lou or Bob or whoever the other teacher is just not. So. Right.
0: Well, and, you know, you say it's not related to oil and gas, but it kind of is because this is what happens in politics, right? We have people that run for politics in a smaller position. They get in, they make friends, they raise money, they share money, they get into a higher position. And then next thing you know, you've got a 70-something-year-old gospel singer regulating oil and gas of a state that if we were a nation would be the third largest producer of oil and gas in the world. And so- you know, I think it's a good segue into we just spent however many minutes going over this ridiculous list. Right. And this is what voters are making decisions on. And so my dilemma has been how do we get the attention of people to actually pay attention to what matters, which is oil and gas regulation. It's the future of our grid. It's the future of our economy. And I'm so tired of politicians politicizing and taking advantage of People's emotional responses to very important social issues, right? And weaponizing that in the political process. And at the end of the day, like the reason that I'm running commercials, the reason that I finally gave in and and set my ego aside was we've got to win this for the future of Texas, right? For the future of our economy, for my daughter's groundwater. Like I, I, that's not hyperbolic. I firmly believe that we are at a tipping point and we're seeing it with the insanity of federal policy, right, like make up your mind. You want us to have more reasonably priced oil and gas, well then stop shutting down pipelines, stop shutting down lease opportunities federally, right? And then on the state level, Like, let's make sure we don't let a few bad actors who make really large political contributions do whatever they want and bully everyone else so that it makes the industry look bad when we lose power, right? Like pipeline companies that have too much power, operators that have too much power, landowners that have too much power, right? You've got these elite billionaires who are basically buying elections. And that's scary.
1: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, the the important thing about Texas and regulating the oil and gas businesses, it's a big, huge driver of our economy. And like you said, and what I've said kind of multiple times, energy is so incredibly important. People die when energy costs are high, and they die when we have to buy energy from authoritarian dictators, They, you know, it just, it's the, and it deserves a thoughtful, meaningful, intellectually honest discussion about these sort of things because we can rhetoric it all day long. Adam Schiff sent out a tweet the other day where he was sitting there saying something to the effect of, where he was sitting there saying something to the effect of, you know, oil prices are down, gasoline prices are still up, this is profiteering. And I tweeted back, I was like, okay, please explain to me that you don't understand that the price of oil is a future financial contract for delivery of an oil barrel, you know, sometime in the future. And the price of gasoline is after weeks of being produced, transported, refined, sent to market. You know, that's the price of gasoline. Are they connected? Sure. But, I think somebody tweeted back uh, yeah it's like getting really pissed off at the farmer because cereal prices went up. I mean there is some so right? anyway it 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 deserves that discussion and that that's the thing that really worries me cuz I think the the war in Ukraine has hit the nail on the head. Energy security actually matters. Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're an island in Texas. We're big enough, as you said, we'd be the third largest oil producer. We, in effect, have our own grid um, where a lot of what needs to be done in the world, shipping more LNG to, to Europe, all these various things. We can do a lot more of that because we don't have to deal with the feds on certain parts of it. And, man, if we give that away, we're hosed.
0: Terrifying.
1: Yeah, yep. the world's hosed. So, anyway, well, okay, last time we did five questions. I don't know that I have five questions this time, but I do have a couple of questions for you that I looked up. So, according to fairvote.org, since from 94 to 22, there have been 248 House and Senate primary races that have had a runoff. Okay. And so- in 240 of those races, there were fewer votes than uh, in the main primary. What's the average decline in voter totals in the runoff from the, from the original primary?
0: 20%.
1: It's actually 38%. Wow. It's thir- so, so, you know, 40% of the people that showed up last time may not show up this time. Second question, how often does the person that finished second wind up ultimately winning in those runoffs?
0: Okay, I've heard the stat of like 80%.
1: That second place person wins 80% of the time? Yeah. Their their stat was 35%. So about a third. Okay. About a third of the time. So... The, uh, so what's the game plan for the uh, the runoff? You've got ads going out. Are we going to do any voter turnout? Have we done any voter uh, ID in terms of calling, polling, identifying your favorables?
0: Uh, no, it's a crapshoot.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Perfect. And so the final and most pressing question, I guess this will be question number three, since I don't actually have five questions. Are we planning any more nudity before the runoff?
0: No, we are not. But you know, you know, I I joked that how do we get people to show up? Can I like, uh, be like, hey, I'll send you a nice still photo from Hump Jack if you send me a picture of you with your I voted sticker. And I haven't had time to research it. That may be like improper offering something in exchange for a vote, you know, and the last thing I need is to accidentally have another joke run a foul and give him more ammo to be like, look, you know, um,
1: Hold on. I no. just, I just, I just mm-hmm. got an updated flyer that now has Wayne saying he supports all election laws and a big X Sarah Stodgner agrees to bribe voters. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man. So anyway, you were cool to come back on the uh the podcast. I appreciate it. Um, you know, good luck in the uh the runoff. I think um uh, the 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 thing that impressed me uh about your run, and I've s I've said these couple of things before. One, way more smart. You're you're a lot smarter than people give you credit for. Out there, but I think you've done a really good job of refuting that narrative. I mean, you've been impressive out on the 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 stump. And the second thing is, this wasn't just a, a lark you did it on. You, you know, you've treated it seriously, albeit in the Sarisodinger way. But you you've taken it really seriously because you believe, and uh, we need more of that in this world.
0: Well, thank you. You know, it, doing the best I can, waking up every morning. And as cheesy as it sounds, you know, my daily meditation of like, use me for good today. Let me be a good example. And when you have no expectations of an outcome and you're true to who you are, I'm having fun, right? Like I'm I'm optimistic. And regardless of what happens, like that's, it is what is. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to May 24th. I really need people to get out and vote. But um, if I'm meant to win, I'm going to win. And if not, I'll figure out the next step.
1: So just to rehash, early voting is when?
0: May 16th through 20th.
1: So that's early voting. The runoff is May 24th. And I read this today, so I'm up to speed. If you voted in the Republican primary... Um, you're allowed to vote in the runoff. If you voted in neither primary, you can still come vote in the Republican runoff. Uh, You just can't have voted in the Democratic primary and then come over to vote in the Republican runoff. Correct. Cool. Well, Sarah, thanks again for coming in.
0: Thanks. And if um, listeners are curious, I'll do an open invite for my campaign night party uh, DM me and I'll give them details. But we are going to have an event in Midland on election night, May 24th. So, for the Midland Permian Basin folks uh, that are around, I'd love them to come and celebrate with me. Cool. Thanks.
1: What did we not cover?
0: No, I think that's it.
1: Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, your boyfriend Tanner said hello.
0: Oh, tell him I said hi.
1: I will. I will. The, um, uh, and, uh, and seriously, good luck.
0: Thanks. Oh, tell him I'm, I'm almost done with a book I'm going to have for him. It's, uh, it's basically like, uh, people like kind of, kind of bad people that help God's mission. It's, it's got a better title than that. But I think he'll appreciate it. It's kind of like some of the ambiguous. You too might enjoy the read. Um, I'll get it and send it to y'all, the the name. Because oh, cool. It's a really good read about, you know, being imperfect and like just embracing your imperfections and still like letting God work. So,
1: yeah, no, I actually need to go read that. I've been struggling with that for uh, for the last couple of months in a weird spot. So I probably do need to read that.
0: Yeah and I've been like wow I believe in God again through this whole process so yeah. it's pretty it's pretty phenomenal